Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to episode number 76 of the Christ Connection Podcast. My name is Kevin Senapati-Ratna and I'm glad you could join us today. This is a good episode. Hi. I suppose that I should say they all are, and I, I really think we try to give you the best resource to help you in your walk with Jesus. That's what we're all about. Uh, this is one that I uh, am excited about for you because it is a deep dive discussion. Now, we have our various types. We have our errand run episodes where uh, we try to get it in a shorter period of time to uh, give you some resources to help you on your way and the amount of time you could run an errand. All right, we have our prayer episodes just some time to uh, spend in the presence of God, enjoy his company, and we do that together. Uh, and then uh, we have our 10-minute tool time episodes, which... Uh we're experimenting with just kind of a 10-minute thought, title, uh, some sort of tactic to help you on your walk with Jesus. And then the deep dives. And the deep dives are designed to go a little bit deeper on one subject or one topic or one book to help you, uh, you know, just kind of give you some meat and potatoes kind of stuff to help you grow with Jesus. And this is one of those episodes. Well, I'm going to get to the bio in a second of Gary Thomas, but uh, this is about building a relationship with God that is enjoyable and finding a way to enjoy Him more. Uh, when you hear Sacred Pathways, you hear the title, you don't be thrown off by that. Uh, this is a solid Bible. This is not uh, in the wacko land. Uh, this is just a good way of thinking about uh, framing your walk with Jesus, uh, as we talk about later, kind of a buffet table of the ways to enjoy God. And so I think you're really going to like this as we dive deep in the topic of spiritual pathways. So without further ado, uh, my further ado, my conversation with Gary Thomas. My guest today is Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas is re- writer and resident at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, and an adjunct fi- faculty member teaching on spiritual formation at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and uh, Houston Theological Seminary in Houston, Texas. He is the author of 19 books, including When to Walk Away, Sacred Marriage, Cherish, Sacred Parenting, and the Gold Medallion Award-winning Authentic Faith. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Great to be here. It is uh, uh, good to have an opportunity to talk about uh, sacred pathways today. I have uh, been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Uh, but first, before we get to that, I need, I was, with your bio there, writer in residence. Uh, <laughs> what exactly is writer in residence and how do I get that gig? No, I mean, what, and how do, what well, is it? That's, that's the question to ask Kevin there. I don't know. There may be two of us for all I know, or I may be the only one. Um, it's just, a, it's been a great fit. I was speaking uh, self-employed for 15 years, writing books, traveling around, speaking at churches. And then here in Houston, Texas, um, they'd asked me to speak at a marriage conference. It's a very large church. And when they do a marriage conference, they have several different speakers at the same time. Uh, and after that conference, they just said, we're looking to add to our teaching team. Do you have any interest in coming down here and, and joining the teaching team? So it's perfect for me. I serve on the teaching team. I don't have administrative responsibilities, have great support just being able to write, but be a part of the church. It's been, it's been a wonderful decade that I'm 
I'm so grateful for. They they spoil me. I'll be honest. It is. It's it's a good gig. Right. But then, uh, but then you travel. Uh, you travel to Portland to to teach there. Or? Yeah. Well, it's and I haven't been more recently doing much. It's like, but when I would go in, I'd often do like week long intensives, okay. which are tough. You know, the eight to five Monday through. <laughs> Thursday or Friday kind of thing. Uh, we've just been re-talking about how we would get together again. And mostly now it's online and Zoom, which actually makes it easier. Uh, but we'll, we'll see going forward. So we're calling these deep dive conversations uh, where we try to go deep on one particular topic. And in this case, we want to talk about uh, your book, Sacred Pathways. Uh, now, for someone who is not familiar with you, now we're going to go, you know, deep with this, but for someone who's not familiar with the book, maybe you meet them somewhere. How do you describe the book? Yeah. Well, the subtitle is Nine Ways to Connect with God. And that's really what it is. What I'm trying to do is lift people out of the stereotypical quiet time, uh, sort of a one-size-fits-all spirituality about the way to organize your devotional time to meet with the Lord. In fact, the word quiet time qualifies it in a way that isn't a good fit for probably half the Christians, frankly. And instead, look at nine different pathways or temperaments, windows through which people see God most clearly, according to the way that God made them. It recognizes that God doesn't use cookie cutters when he creates people. We have different styles, different methods of relating to God. And so it's intended to set people free to pursue God according to the way he made them, and also to create understanding among Christians so that they get what's going on in their small group. Otherwise, Kevin, you get this, after this, what I found is that somebody says, oh, that's why they want to have 50 minutes of singing and a five-minute short devotional. He wants 55 minutes of Bible study with He'll put up with one song. They want us just to pray the whole time. They want us just to go out and work at a food bank. They don't realize that all of them connect with God in a different way. And when they understand the different pathways, there's just this huge, oh, okay, now I get it. So this book originally came out in 1996, am I correct? Yes, that's correct. So uh, why the updated and expanded version? What was the thought process there? Well, there's been a lot of renewed interest in the Enneagram. And I didn't consult the Enneagram when I first wrote the book. The Enneagram is ancient, but as far as evangelicals, it really wasn't being written on until the early 90s, right when I was doing this book. So I had heard of it, wasn't familiar with it. Uh, it's a happy coincidence that there's nine pathways and nine points on the Enneagram scale. There's not a direct connection uh, at all, I don't believe. I think it's looking at two very different things. The Enneagram looks at... Uh, understanding ourselves. The sacred pathways are all about how we best connect with God. It's, it's two very different things. I think the other thing is that Enneagram is, is sort, sort of solidified. You, you kind of, you are who you are, your, your number, and then, you know, you, the, the shadow or I forget what they call it. But um, with pathways, I think we're often more blends. It tends to be more fluid. It's just helping people delight adore, celebrate, connect with, meet with God. But my publisher just recognizing this said, hey, the book has been along. It's been a steady seller for over two decades. Um, a lot of people have interest in the game. We just add on something at the end, update it a little bit, that add on something on the end. How do these 
connect together. And so that's, that's what we did. Is it, uh, as an author of 19 books, is it one of those things when you, uh, you know, one of those that have been around for a long time, then you bring it back to life. It's like starting all over again. Or, <laughs> Well, I was one, I was just pleased at how well it's held up. It really is kind of a timeless book. Now, when you update a book, there are things that you have to upgrade. Think back to 96. I mentioned General Schwarzkopf. Uh, you, you're probably too young, Kevin, to know who he, he I, was. I <laughs> oh, you know, okay. Well, good, good for you. But, but a lot of people, I think if they're under 50, He's probably not the household name he was when I wrote the book. I mentioned cassette tapes as a way to get information, and nobody I know now is using cassette. So it's just amazing how quickly our, our culture moves on. But the core issues, what the pathways are, um, the relevance, uh, it, it was so gratifying to see how well they've stood up. I mean, a lot of people have taught out of this. Uh, Andy Stanley did a series on it. Rick Warren made a chapter in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, focus on the pathways. Uh, John Orberg has mentioned them. A lot of others have used them in their books. And it's been uh, very gratifying to see that they've held up and haven't really seen anybody saying, well, we missed this or we need that or whatnot. So um, uh, I'm just thankful to see it and really excited that God might be giving this new life. Like, again, it's it's never been a, a bestseller in any one given year, but it's just through the years found its way into the church and in the langu language of what it means to pursue God earnestly with passion and desire and intention. When I, I encountered it, I'm guessing it was probably over a decade ago. Uh, and, and so that when I saw this was kind of coming back, I was like, I, I loved it back then. It's been so fun to re-go through it and uh, engage with the content again. And it so fits with the idea of enjoying God and enjoying your journey with him, which resonates with my heart. So it, it's been a fun process. Uh, kind of getting into the content there. Uh, well, first of all, what is your dream? Uh, when, when someone picks this up, the average Christian, uh, uh, I mean, you kind of touched on this, but a little, uh, anything else as far as what's your dream that when they're done reading that uh, book that they're, you know, they're taking away? Is there kind of this yes, heart, yeah. heartbeat there? Yeah, absolutely. My dream is that somebody has gone through the book prayerfully considered it and begun to put it into practice that their devotional time with God would be the highlight of their day. It would be something they do not out of obligation, but out of delight. And if they miss it, if life events just conspire to where it's just not possible, they can't wait to get back to it the next day. Look, Kevin, I'm all for discipline. And when I was a young Christian in a Chi Alpha group back in, in college, uh, I stress discipline above all else. And it's not that discipline isn't important. What I didn't understand back then is the power of delight. That if you create something that you delight to do, discipline often takes care of itself. And so while I think every Christian needs some element of self-discipline and meeting with the Lord, if we can make that time enjoyable, we're going to be far more likely to do it more often. And I think there's nothing more fundamental than spending time with God and honoring him by delighting it when we do. And so that's just what I'm hoping to see happen. 
So when people engage with the pathways and they kind of, they take the assessments and they see where they're at on there, where, uh, what's the difference between the calling that all of us have to each point along yeah, the, yeah. versus uh, just engaging in the things that you have the higher score in. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. For instance, let's use the caregivers. We haven't talked about the individual pathways. I'll just give one. Caregivers are Christians who feel like they connect best with God when they're caring for others in God's name. It might not just be sick people. It might be fixing a widow's car. It might be an EMT who just is one of those guys that likes to rescue others or whatnot. But for them, that's when they feel closest to God, not sitting alone, not singing, not with an instrument in their hand, but actually offering practical care. Well, anybody could see. James 1 says, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this. Look after the orphan and widow in their distress. Uh, so every Christian is called to care. Jesus' whole parable on the sheep and the goats, whether prisoners, the poor, the naked, the lonely, all of that. Here's the difference. For a caregiver, it's what fills them up. For a lot of us, caregiving is a duty. It's an obligation. We do it because God has loved us. We want to love others, but we have to go recover from it. For a caregiver, it fills their gas tank. It doesn't deplete their gas tank. An example I would use is Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She had the famous ministry to leprosy victims. And when young women would want to join her order, she would ask them very clearly, does this work give you joy? And if there wasn't an immediate yes, they didn't get in. She wasn't looking for martyrs. She didn't want people who gave care as an aspect of, this is what I'm supposed to do, therefore I'm doing it. It's more, this is what fills me up. The same thing we could talk about the intellectual. It doesn't mean you're smart. It's a conceptual idea that you connect best with God when you understand new things about God. That for your heart to open up, your mind has to open up. You understand things about God's grace, uh, just who he is, his nature. It makes you adore God more. Well, all of us should be filling our minds with the scriptures, and we all need to do it. But for the intellectual, it is their preferred way to feel closest to God. It's not something they just do to feed them. I mean, it's their delight. It's, it's what leads them to worship. For them, it is very much an aspect of worship. So most of these pathways, there's some not necessarily, we all should be involved with in some way, but it's helpful to know this is what really feeds me spiritually. I'm not doing it because I'm supposed to be doing it. I'm doing it because it's my delight and it helps me to connect with God like nothing else. So would you encourage someone to then, you know, you find your top, two or three, and then make that the, the bulk of your time with God, and then the rest of them uh, to do as needed? Or yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, what I want is for people to have an individual spiritual prescription. And by that, I mean, when you're really feeling lonely or depleted, you need to hear from God, you need to be strengthened in God, you need to know, these are the things I know will really help me connect with God. Like that they refresh my soul. They lead me in to God's presence. But a full Christian experience, what I, I use is Jesus' famous words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
any true Christian devotion has all four elements. So by heart, I mean adoration and worship. Even if you're an intellectual who wants to study, a caregiver who wants to give care to others, at adoring God, worshiping God needs to be a part of your life for you to be a healthy Christian. Soul refers to prayer. Again, the intellectual might prefer study more than direct interaction with praying to God, but an intellectual needs to pray to God just as the contemplative finds that as their preferred pathway to spend a lot of time in more uh, quieter forms of prayer. So we all need to pray. Now, the naturalist who connects with God out of doors might pray better taking a walk through a woods, sitting by a river. The ascetic, sort of like a monk or nun, may pray better by themselves in the room. An enthusiast might pray better with a large gathering and they're feeding off others' prayers and then they're adding their own prayers. But all of us need to pray in some way. Heart, soul, and then mind, we all need scripture in our life. Again, for the intellectual, that he, he, he or she loves that. And they might do their Bible study alone. They might have concordances and commentaries and, and all of that. Um, others may prefer to do Bible study in a class setting. Uh, where there's a teacher and they're going through a workbook and talking about others. Others may listen to the Bible on their iPhones as they're commuting to work or as they're cleaning the house or something like that. But they recognize, I've got to find a way to get the word into my mind today. That's inviolate. How they do it is, is going to change. And then strength, we all need to serve the Lord. Caregivers and activists, we haven't mentioned, they are key on serving God. That's their focus. The intellectual and the contemplative and the ascetic who kind of like to be alone also need to serve God. Now, they may serve God in a different way, and it may deplete them, Kevin. They may feel like they have to come back and study and spend more time in prayer to be able to get filled up again after serving, whereas for the activists and the caregivers, serving is that that's what makes them feel alive. But everybody needs to serve God. So those four things, heart, soul, mind, and strength. When all four elements are, are present, I think that's when you have a mature, thriving Christian who, for lack of a better phrase, is firing on all cylinders. So, uh, so someone who's you know, read the book in 1996 and uh, took the assessment, because now you've had some time to see how people have interacted with it over time. Do you find that the temperaments can change for people yes. or they, uh, and how, how do people engage with that thought process? Is it just see what is working and kind of weave your way along or what, yeah. how does that change? Well, the, the, one of the things I love about sacred pathways, it seems funny saying that about your own book, but <laughs> I get it. one of the things I loved about writing it, there's some books I've written that really are a lot of shoulds. As Christians, we should be doing this. We should be doing this. And there's a place for that in the Christian life, right? We should be sharing our faith. We should be giving general, all of those things. But what I love about the pathways is instead of shoulds, they're get-tos, they're invitations. There's not necessarily, you shouldn't necessarily be a contemplative instead of an ascetic or a sensate instead of an enthusiast. Those are things that God made you that way and you can just express who you are. Because of that, there's tremendous freedom, I think, to take a step back and say, I delight in this. I want to focus on this, but it doesn't have to be the only thing I am. I, I put it this way. You might prefer 
Mexican food. That might be your favorite food. But every now and then you'll go to a Thai restaurant. You might get bored having Mexican. And I think if you know all the pathways, you might say, you know what, four out of seven days, I'm going to be doing things like a contemplative, but I need to get out there once a week and be an activist, or I need to be out there once a week and really focus on um, the, the sensate or, or bringing that in. And so it, that there's this tremendous freedom to say, oh, I, I, I can be who God created me to be, enjoy that, respect him as my creator who made us that way. But without, without that heavy guilt, again, I'm really trying to free people up and, and work off the power of delight to help them in their relationship with God. Well, I, yeah, delight yourself in the Lord. That really just kind of yes. seems the heart yes. of what your the whole book is about is finding that way that you'll yes. delight uh, in the Lord. Uh, have you found even for yourself? I mean, if, if twenty five years of teaching something, uh, do you you know you know your own strengths, but do you do you kind of meander through uh, the different absolutely. types? Absolutely, yeah. I think. Um, you know, when I wrote the book, I think I probably would have scored highest on the naturalist. I was in Northern Virginia, and one of my best ways of connecting with God was to go out into some of the battlefields, which still amazed me. I could hike for an hour and a half and not see anyone. Wow. And I, and I love Virginia forests. I really do. The, just the smell, the sight, and everything. And I just loved it. It was a great time to pray during some stressful seasons. When I moved to Houston, Texas, which my wife calls Cement City, <laughs> that is flat. You know, it's the joke is if your dog runs away, you can watch him for three days. Um, it, it was really hard for me. To, to do that. And I think I had more of the intellectual bent, which I was always, I think I was a mix of the two. Um, because when I'm traveling and you're on a plane, you know, it's really great when you can open up some books and scripture and just really connect with God without inside a metal tube called an airplane. <laughs> but then I noticed, um, we were just visiting my son recently in Connecticut during the fall and going out into the woods, I thought, oh, I really miss this. And so I think given if I were to go back to uh, the Northwest or Virginia or certainly up in New England in the fall, I could see myself gravitating back toward that element of being a naturalist. So part of it is your, your station in life. If you've got small kids at home, if you're working 12 hour days and commuting, uh, if you are moved to another country or so, I mean, your life situation can really keep you from doing what might be your most preferred pathway, walking your most preferred pathway, but um, that's okay. They're nine. You can un understand others and maybe on the weekends you can get out in a way that you can't during the week. Well, I, I definitely fall in the, in the naturalist camp. I can, to, to get out, uh, out in nature is, a, is always a, is always good for me. Just to, uh, Especially in Minnesota, if you can you know, get outside at all, and it's it's November in Minnesota, and it's supposed to when we're recording this, and it's supposed to be seventy today, and there is no way I'm not going outside at some point. <laughs> because a month from now it'll be thirty right? Right. for the next three months. <laughs> oh, we already had snow. We 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 had. Oh, it, really? Okay. And it came and left, so I was, uh, I'm cherishing today. But all right. 
Now, you're the guy who's probably even more known for sacred marriage. Uh, that's kind of your... Yes. Uh, how do the temperaments... I'd kind of like to look at some of the ways it inter intersects with different areas of our life. So marriage is an, an example. Uh, how do you re-engage in the temperaments as a married couple? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, after Sacred Pathways came out, there was another, uh, there was a well-known marriage speaker who would actually do a session on Sacred Pathways because he just thought it was wonderful to help couples understand each other and to connect to build spiritual intimacy. And I thought it was funny because I'd written the book and I didn't have room for it in my own <laughs> marriage seminars. Um, but here's what I found, Kevin. I don't, how, how long have you been married? Uh, next year's 25 years. <laughs> wow. So you're down the road a bit too. The more I receive from God, the better husband I am by far. Uh, when I feel loved by God, affirmed by God, encouraged by God, sometimes convicted by God, my marriage changes dramatically. God is the most important source of inspiration, empowerment, conviction, and encouragement in, I think, any marriage you should be um, anyway. And so if you can release your spouse to spend that time with the Lord in a way they delight in him, you're ultimately serving yourself. Because if they're not making you the priority that you should be, God will convict them when they meet with God. Or for them to have patience for you or just to have the delight so they're not dragging you down or, or draining you because they're asking you to be God to them. And so I'll, sometimes I'll say to spouses, you know, I, I get the, the ideal that we will pray together and have our quiet times together every day. I'm going to be asking, Lisa and I haven't done that. We, we pray together times, yes, but our main quiet times aren't done together. I'll just say, for instance, somebody's married to an ascetic. That's like the monk or nun type that really likes to get away and be alone. They just connect with God better when there's not any distractions. And so I say to the spouse, look, don't take it personally um, if they need their alone time, even on vacation, it's just who they are. It's not a statement that they don't delight in you. I go, if you'll let them have that for 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, you can have a much better day the rest of your vacation or the rest of your work day or whatnot. Just let them connect with God. Be the block with the kids or whatever the distractions might be. It really does matter that you help your spouse connect with God. So I think that understanding, what can I do to help you with that? And so a wife might not resent it. If the husband says, I just need to go take a walk in the woods. I might have to drive 10 miles to get there. Or the husband shouldn't resent it when he gets home when the wife says, you know, I, I, I just need quiet. I need to go away. I need you to take care of the kids so I can just go upstairs, close all the doors and pretend I'm by myself. Uh, I just think it's helpful when you understand that you can learn from each other. You can appreciate each other and recognize that the best gift we can give our spouse it's time to connect with God, but I would flip that around. It's also the best gift we can give ourselves. I want to be married to a woman who's connecting with God on a regular basis. Well, that's so good because you're allowing their encounter with God to be a nourishment to you through their, I mean, just because they're spending time with God, they're enjoying. Absolutely. Uh, now, near the end of the book, you talk about how some kids struggle 
because their parents' pathways are different than theirs. Uh, yes. Now I have a 13 year old uh, daughter. Uh, uh, do you recommend, or how do you recommend uh, helping your kids process finding that journey? Yeah. Uh, when, when our kids were younger, and I wanted them to connect with God, it was very helpful to realize they might just do it differently than I do. And I remember being on a trip. We were actually out of the country with my son. I was just asking about how he best connects with God. And I'm just going through the nine pathways thinking, have you tried this? Have you tried that? What not? And, and here's how can we have to recognize that our kids are so different. I remember walking through the mall one time with my kids when they were younger. And we came up on one of those arcades you know, the, the flashing lights and the buzzes and the, and my son's face lit up and he said, man, can I have some quarters? I mean, he wanted to spend an hour in there. My oldest daughter who has sensory issues was like, get me out of here. I'm going to go crazy. I can't get away fast enough. Just recognizing in their entertainment, one son said, I want to spend a lot of time here. And one child saying, I can't get out of here fast enough. Well, that same daughter Later, a week or so, we were taking a walk through the woods. We came up by this waterfall. There's a bench under the tree. She just stopped and goes, wow, dad, wouldn't this be a great place to have a quiet time? You know, she wanted it quiet. She wanted it outdoors and all that. And so it's just recognizing that rather than just telling your kids, okay, here's what it means to have a quiet time. You, you pray this way. You have it at this time of the day. You do it in this room. If it doesn't fit who they are, and they don't get any joy out of it, it's like, it becomes like a chore. It becomes like doing the dishes, you know? And the idea is to recognize that what really helps one connect with God may not be as good for the other, but this is key, Kevin. I don't want any child to think, because this pathway doesn't fit me, I don't need to connect with God every day. That's the danger of the one-size-fits-all spirituality, the notion that if there's one hat that everybody has to wear, well, if the hat doesn't fit, you say, I'm not into hats. And I fear that some kids say, I'm not, I must not be that into God because the way that everybody says you're supposed to connect with God, I don't get anything out of it. So they don't just think I'm following the wrong pathway. They think, I guess I'm just not one of those who are that into God or need to meet with God. That's what I think is the tragic result of a one-size-fits-all spirituality. Do you think as a parent that you need to kind of guard your own expression at some point then? I mean, like, uh, if, say, my wife, this is not true, but if, say, my wife and I were both kind of both naturalist and only and intellectuals. And so we're all about the books and uh, I mean, that kind of thing uh, that you might want to, dare I say, tone it down so that they, and then uh, try, try and embrace some of the other around your children, or is it just uh, letting the, just by exposing them to different types? Yeah. Uh, does that make sense? I would say do the latter with enthusiasm. Never tone yours down because the best gift we can give our kids is passion for God, delight in God. They'll see it light up our faces. I want my kids to remember there's a, a wistfulness in my voice when I talk about connecting with God that supersedes watching a favorite football team reading a favorite novel, watching a movie or anything like that. So I would say don't tamp down yours. Get excited about God. That's the best way to get your child excited about God. 
but then try to learn from them. Say, oh, you like to connect with God. Tell me what that means. Tell me how, how did it go today? What did you do? What, what can you teach me? Uh, and, and I think we all know this, that when you teach something, you master it much better. And if your kids could say, well, I really like to connect with God this way because here's what I do and here's where it meets, then it, it just becomes a thing of delight and your kids kind of own it. And it's not you trying to hold them accountable. It's them. I get to do it this way. And I can even teach my mom and dad something. And I, I think that's something special. No, I think the, the allowing people to find their own path. We, we've all been around, or you and I have been around church enough that the, the people who've grown up in these rules and regulations that they eventually decide I'm going to go do something else because <laughs> it's not, yeah. not fitting for them. Uh, kind of staying on that theme of community, uh, you referenced that people may struggle because they're born in a church that doesn't have much of their temperament. Uh, how would you encourage churches to help people on their journey that may not be uh, so uh, in my day? Uh, uh, you know, my tribe, uh, yeah. we, don't, we don't have, uh, you know, incense and, right. uh, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, sure. So that's not going to, uh, uh, so how would, how would you encourage, you know, whether it's church leadership or in a small group setting so that people can, uh, who are not a part, you know, are from a different kind of temperament would be able to fit uh, and find their, their place without having to go to another denomination. <laughs> yeah. I've always seen the sacred pathways as the Monday through Saturday expression of our faith. So that Sunday we're pooling a week's long experience of delighting and meeting with God. Um, now churches have kind of wrecked that when they have a lot of Saturday evening services. So let's say Monday through noon, Saturday form. The idea is that you realize no church can have all nine pathways in a, you know, 75-minute service, even a 90-minute service. They're not going to get all of them in uh, if they have a substantial sermon at all. So what that means is that you're not so desperate going to church. I do think it's really helpful for worship leaders to be aware of different ways that people connect with God because when they don't, because most of them have really connected with God by singing and having an instrument in their hands, and that's great for the, you know, maybe – 10%, 15%, 20% of the people in the congregation that are that way, but they're missing many other tools. They're, they're covering up many other windows through which people could see God more clearly and have a more powerful experience. Uh, after I spoke on this at a pastor's conference, there was a pastor of one of the nation's largest churches, and this is 20 years ago. And I was shocked because he asked me to come and present this at his church and then on the spot offered me a position to be be a worship leader at the church now i'm not musical at all he wanted to make a statement hiring a non-musical guy to lead their worship team because he saw that connecting worship with music as synonyms really was a weakness of the church and and i i do think that's there it's a great way to connect with god but when we think of it as the only way to connect with God, I, I don't think we're creating the varied kind of worship experiences that will have the biggest impact. We really are cutting some people off. 
and uh, I, I think that's unfortunate. So I would say worship leaders and pastors be aware of what the pathways are. Try to incorporate them different weeks, different focuses. You're not going to get all nine in one particular service, but recognize there are more ways to worship God than to sing songs and then sit and listen to a sermon. Have you seen any uh, churches or ministries uh, incorporate this uh, in through their whole life? Uh, I mean, the kind of life of the church? One of the most moving experiences of my life, uh, my son was a young he might not have even been a teenager. He was close to being a teenager. I was invited to go out to South Africa, Johannesburg. And there was a very large church there. They met in an auditorium, but they created a chapel. They loved sacred pathways. That's why they brought me out. And they created a chapel that had sections of the chapel designed according to the pathways. So that this is the emphasis if you're a naturalist, if you're an ascetic, if you're a sensate, all of that. And it was there for people to come in during the week because they still, their large services were still in sort of an auditorium, just like you'd think an auditorium would look. But they wanted to recognize that people could come during the week to the chapel and have an entirely different personal experience with God. That was beyond moving. It was the day before cell phones. So when I took the pictures of the camera, I, I don't know where they are. <laughs> Younger, younger won't, don't realize how <laughs> phenomenal it is that we always have a phone with this. I so wish I would have kept those because it really was one of the more moving times for me just to see a church flesh out a book in front of me. I, I, I guess it's the equivalent of a novelist seeing their book made into a movie. Was it? Uh, so like each, like there were nine little stations around the room that each person could uh, – go to so if there was like the naturalist there was a window or was it yeah I, it's been a couple decades i don't remember it completely but yeah it, it was and i went through the chapel and went around it and they had a focus it was a time in south africa's history when and they explain labor was ridiculously cheap and they, they could hire laborers for a dollar a day and so it was being able to build something like that might have just been an historical anomaly where they could just as a church say, okay, we want to, we want to make this happen. So going back to the idea that this has been out for 25 years, uh, what has been one of the things that people have most misunderstood about them? You know, if you get feedback or something that you, you're yeah. like, I always want to set this, you know, this straight or whatever. Is there something that when people pick it up, they tend to go a certain way that you'd like to say? Yeah. I, I think the two things is that there are some people who think their pathway is the only way. Uh, they're, they're, they so meet with God. They meet with God so powerfully they are not content to be a contemplative. They think everybody should be a contemplative. We all should spend two hours in silent prayer adoring God. The intellectuals that think every small group meeting should be 95% just straight out Bible study. The people think, no, actually, we shouldn't be meeting in homes. We should be in a soup kitchen. We should be picketing that evil, the activists. We should just gather to to pray and then go out and actually really do what what matters. And so I think there's this there's this thinking, and, and I get it. I, I think in the best way, it comes from 
I really connect with God. I just want to go out and do it. I think you'll connect with God if you do it too. Hopefully they're just sort of a cheerleader for that. The, the other only negative I've seen through the years is that because I describe very many different practices, for instance, with the contemplative, I talk about um, the Jesus prayer, which was a big part of Eastern Orthodox spirituality. Uh, it's using a prayer as an anchor to stay in the presence of God. The most common form is Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's often considered the perfect prayer. It's got the right address, Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing son of God, what we need, have mercy on me, and then who we are, a sinner. And you'd say it over and over just to anchor themselves in the presence of God. Well, I've had some groups that would say, oh, that's like TM, transcendental meditation, or mantra speaking. And I'm like, this, the Eastern Orthodox Church was using this thousands of years before California was a state, you know, and, and anybody would talk about TM and, and though they might think that TM tried to corrupt it or whatnot. I don't think that corrupts this practice that has been used for over a thousand years in our Eastern Orthodox brothers and, and sisters. And so um, some did attack me when the book came out. And, and I stress to them, none of this, I'm not saying anybody should pray the Jesus prayer or centering prayer was another controversial thing. I'm saying this is what some Christians have found have really connected them with God. If it freaks you out, if it bugs you, if it bothers your conscience, don't do it. Now, I mean, certain things I would absolutely forbid consulting a medium. Uh, you know, there's spiritual things that the Bible is just so clear, don't have anything to do with that. But there is a lot of freedom. I, I try to tell people, while the Old Testament worship had very elaborate rituals, I, intricate, you know, you sprinkle a little blood of this, you wring that neck, you put this here, this goes on this side, on this day of the week you offer this, then in the evening you offer that, and then you bring in the censers. And all. I mean, it's just so explicit. In the New Testament, when it comes to personal private devotion, in the New, there's nothing. I mean, there, there are a few guidelines for corporate worship about keeping order. You got, you know, all, all the things that Paul says in first Corinthians and whatnot. And, but when it comes to how you spend time with God on your own, it's shocking when you think about it, that, that we, we don't. And so if there was one right way, I think God in his inspired scriptures would have given us that one right way. And so I'm, I'm trying to speak of freedom without making somebody feel guilty for doing something or not doing something. Uh, that bothers some people. They think there's one particular way you meet with God. And if anybody says anything different, then, you know, you become the heretic. <laughs> well, I don't think you're a heretic. I liked it. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, if that means anything to anyone, that doesn't matter. But anyways, <laughs> I, I, I think you... I mean, the book really is like that buffet table of yes, encounter with that's God. That's a great example. I love that analogy. Because you're uh, allowing people to find, and yeah, if you had uh, orange jello every day, you know, and that's all you ate, you probably get unhealthy. But if you, you know, like a certain thing at the table more, a little bit more than others, then go for it and allow that. I, I, I love that. If you don't want the kale, don't eat the kale. <laughs> <laughs> now, my wife will go to the kale first, but... <laughs> 
and and some people know i probably should try to have some kale but yeah but it doesn't mean you have to and i think you know to be honest the intellectual probably do better to learn from the contemplative and pray more often just as the ascetic who tends to have a more serious sober-minded faith could do well to learn from the enthusiast hey there's a time to celebrate there's a time to remember the supernatural mystery of god you know the traditionalist uh, that goes by ritual and symbol needs to realize that God still moves supernaturally. And so he needs, or she needs the enthusiasts who are saying, man, you know, I hope God moves in a powerful way today. Like he's never moved before. They need to take spiritual risks. They need to see God active today. Um, we all can learn from the other temperaments. And so I like that buffet. You don't have to have it every day, but every now and then, you know, take, take a different dish and, and see how it tastes. Well, it's probably true that you get that uh, certain, uh, when you're fed a certain way, when you try something else, it probably has a more impactful, you know, if you're, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, if I, if I was going to make the list, probably the lowest would be caregiver. Uh, so my, my mercy is probably, you know, <laughs> in the tank. <laughs> but at the same point, it's, it's important. <laughs> I mean, when, when those moments come, uh, it is a rich, enriching as well. I mean, yeah. I just have to go back and <laughs> go to the woods or something afterwards. <laughs> you, you know what I've found is, that's been kind of fun and interesting. When people come through a charismatic or Pentecostal church, as they get to be older and adults, they often gravitate toward liturgical traditions because it's just new and fresh. On the other hand, I've heard a lot of people that have come from liturgical traditions and they get into a charismatic church. It's like, wow, you know, I mean, now it's alive. This is real. And so I, I think some of that is just breaking out of the rut and the routine uh, can be good. Um, so yeah, I, I think you, you see that. And, um, and then you might want to end up going back to what fed you when you were young as well. But it's helping people understand that God's church is richer for having both. Right. For instance, the traditionalist remembers what was. They use forms of faith, prayer and whatnot, prayers that might've been prayed 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, often will follow the Christian calendar. So they celebrate Advent and Lent and Pentecost. And, and so their life is sort of pinned to traditional religious expression. And the church needs to remember that. That's a healthy thing. But then enthusiasts are almost the opposite. They're like, what is God doing now? I want to see God move in a supernatural way. I want to pray that things get so chaotic we don't even get to the offering. While the traditional is saying, oh, all is well with the world. It's 1024. Offering is passed. <laughs> Everything's in time. But it's, it's healthy for the church to have both. And I, I think the same way. Because God moved historically and he moves today supernaturally another thing that might seem like opposites but they work together would be the activists and the caregiver activists feel most alive to god when they're fighting god's battles it might be an evangelistic crusade it might be picketing an injustice it might be standing up against evil or for god's glory whatever it is and then you have the caregivers who are taking care of others in Jesus' name. So it might seem like they're opposite, but what I say is the activist is addressing systemic evil. They want the evil to stop. The caregivers are taking care of the victims of evil. They're working with individuals. They want to say, you know what? Evil hasn't stopped. I've got to take care of this person. 
And I help them see the church is richer for having both. I don't want the caregiver to feel like they have to be an activist because eventually I hope somebody will stop the source of the evil. On the other hand, I don't want the activist to try to become a caregiver because it, it, it works the same way. You need to take care of the victims while you're also taking care of the systemic problem. And so it's recognizing that God is so wonderful and great and such a brilliant creator. He's not like a football coach who has to draft whoever's available, right? We kind of need a quarterback. Don't got a quarterback available. We'll just do the best we can. God gets to create his team. He designs us. He says, my church needs activists. It needs caregivers. It needs traditionalists. It needs enthusiasts and ascetics and natural and, and all along the way. And it's just exciting to see the wonder of God revealed in his church at large, that not one person can capture on their own what individual devotion to God means. I do think you see all nine pathways in Jesus. I think you see four or five in David and at least two or three in Moses. So I, I do think the more mature you are, probably more pathways you're open to. But looking at the church as a whole, it's exciting to me just to see uh, the wonder of God displayed in diverse forms of connecting with him. I, love, I was actually thinking about uh, that you had mentioned in the book about Jesus encompassing all of them. And uh, it really is the beauty of the church that, you know, the, now the spirit is given to a to all of us and uh, he's, uh, he's divvied it out and uh, we get to express Jesus in the way that we uh, were designed and through the Absolutely. temperament that we have. Uh, right. Our time is uh, coming to an end. Uh, if, uh, if people were wanting to learn more about this book, I know there's uh, GaryThomas.com, correct? Is yes, the, yes. Uh, any other uh, final ask that you would have the audience before we wrap up? Um, just, I, I would say, well, my website, GaryThomas.com does have where you can look at some excerpts from it and read up on it what you want. The book is called Sacred Pathways. So you could look at it on Christian book distributors or Amazon or whatnot. We've also just filmed, which I'm pretty excited about, a DVD curriculum. Wow. You can also download it. So there are five different sessions where we introduce it and then three sessions where we talk about three of the pathways and then one where we tie it all together. It's a great thing for small groups to go through to understand each other, for a family to go through to understand each other. There have been a number of churches that have done series on this. If a pastor's looking for a church series, you've got nine sermons right there. You know, you focus on each pathway, uh, just recognize it. And so, uh, I just want to offer it as a gift to the church because here's, here's what excites me. I mentioned going to South Africa. It was one of my first experiences in cross-cultural traveling. And the challenge, even, I don't know if you've done a lot of that, is that a lot of things are so different. Humor is really difficult because you, the, so much humor is based on wordplay and puns which when you're talking to a place that's got to be translated or English isn't their first language, it doesn't work. And, and using historical examples, even George Washington, they don't know George Washington, they know Nelson Mandela, right? And then referring to football, for them, that's soccer. It's not the Dallas Cowboys. So 
it was it was a challenge just saying okay how do i communicate this using the stories i usually use in a way that's meaningful to them and i'll never forget on the plane on the way back i wasn't sure how well i'd succeeded i mean the church was very encouraging said we want to bring you back thank you it was great but i just sensed the lord telling me gary i know your heart that you gave yourself to help them connect with me and there's no better gift you can give to me than to help others love me. Wow. And I, I just want to say to those listening, that's what I hope this book will do, not only to help you love God, but to give you a tool to help others learn how to love God. I don't know if there's a better gift we can give God than helping people express their devotion to him. Wow, that's, that's a, uh, such a good uh, truth and something. Uh, thank you for uh, releasing this book and now re-releasing in a new and updated form. Uh, it's a blessing to the body of Christ. So thanks for being okay. with us. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and you got some takeaways. Maybe you need to listen a couple times just to get the, all the things. That, again, it's a meat and potatoes kind of an episode. We want those to be a little deeper. Uh, so you got to think about it, maybe meditate on it. What, what is God saying to you? Grab the book uh, and you can find all the resources at ChristConnection.cc slash podcast and click on the episode and we'll have where you can find the book and things like that. Uh, go through the book, find, kind of find your own pathways that will work best for you, and then uh, think about your family, think about your uh, social circle, who are those people uh, that maybe they're you know struggling with where they're at with their their pathways. And uh, So again, ChristConnection.cc slash podcast. Uh, click on the episode link, and you'll find uh, resources to find out. Go to... Uh, Gary's uh, website, things like that. Uh, but before you go, uh, would you take a moment and uh, subscribe to the channel so you don't miss out on future episodes? Take a moment to uh, share this with a friend who might uh, be kind of feeling stuck and they're, they're kind of boring and it's gotten routine, their walk with Jesus, and give them some ideas to spark them along the way. And uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Enjoying Prayer on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram, again, that's Enjoying Prayer, which if you're wondering what that is, that's the name of my first book, and so that's how we got the handle. So Enjoying Prayer, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, and I hope to hear from you there, and until next time, thanks for listening.